All right, welcome in everyone to episode 12 of the Peach State Tailgate Sports Podcast. I am Kenny Cochran, joined as always by my amazing co-host, Mr. Jake Hill. Thank you, Kenny. I appreciate that, sir. Man, college football's back, boys. Week one has come and gone. We have seen football. We've seen meaningful football. We've seen meaningless football. We got to see the dogs play. We got to see everything that we've desired for all of our hopes and dreams this past week and boy does it feel good to be here man it is the absolute best time of year college football makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up gives you goosebumps you wake up saturday morning drink you a cup of coffee go outside mow the lawn whatever you want to do because you know that 9 a.m college game day is coming on and you got kirk herb street firing you up dropping cuss words on live television like yeah, only yeah. Kirk Herbstreet can do. And, uh, man, I am just excited to be here. Uh, I know Jake is too. So before we hop into things, thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode, episode 12, like I said a little bit ago. Um, this one's going to be a little bit more heavy on the football talk, a little bit more heavy on the college talk, but uh, it's just because of the time of year, man. So without further ado, Jake, what you got? Kenny, had to start, off, start us off by uh, complimenting the introduction. Fantastic introduction as always. And I want to compliment on the on the you know waking up, you know, getting up, getting ready for some college football on Saturday. Me personally, this time of year in the South in Georgia, you know, I spent my week one college football down in Pensacola, Florida with the with the girlfriend. So uh I woke up. I'm usually not a very big hot coffee drinker this time of the year. All iced coffee, all frappuccinos, you know, I'm rolling off that thing. Had to drink like four to five hot cups of coffee just to get into this time of the year. It is it is officially fall time, even though the temperature said 94 degrees. So we're there. We're at the college football season. And the thing is totally adjusted. I do not have any more K-cups for my Keurig, but that is going to be something that I will be purchasing within the next couple of days because I got to get everything back up and going, ready for Saturdays that are coming up, ready for Sundays. I know Kenny, along with myself, will be getting some like NFL talk coming up soon. Not so much today. I think we're going to save most of that preview stuff for tomorrow's episode. But... Dude, we're like Kenny said, we're just so excited. And uh, before we, you know, dive too far into football talk, I do want to mention our beloved Atlanta Braves. Um, I have to, I have to admit, I, I have, you know, I, I've been a bad fan recently. Um, I've, I have kept track of the Braves. I have watched some Braves games, but the past couple of days, my eyes, if college football is not on TV, my eyes are glued to ESPN or SEC Network, trying to see what these guys are saying about college football. Watching the highlights, I mean, there's so many college football games to watch, and I know me and Kenny both like to keep up with even the small games. Like, obviously, games we're going to mention a little bit later, like the App State-North Carolina game. If you're just a college football fan or a football fan in general, those games are what you watch college football for. Like, you watch your team, you want your team to win, you watch your team to like to succeed, but getting to watch a football game like that, man, it just it just really brings in that that this time of year, and it's awesome. Uh, But Braves, okay, back to Braves. No more college football for right now. Braves, as of right now, uh, 9.15 p.m. on September 6, 2022, for a little time check for you guys, trailed the New York Mets by one game in the NL East, NL East race. Uh, so the Braves are really, really cutting into that lead. We still have a almost a full month of September to play, so you know there's plenty of time. We've mentioned in the past the Mets have a very, very easy schedule in September. I don't think they play a single team above 500 besides the Braves that last series of the year. And the Braves have a little bit tougher of a road. I want to say we have seven matchups against the Phillies. We also have a West Coast trip where we have to go see, see Seattle and San Francisco. I know San Francisco is not the team that they were 
last year and you know earlier on this year but i mean they're still a tough team they still have veteran players that could do damage to you so we have a couple tough matchups but with how this braves lineup has been performing and how this pitching staff has been pitching there's no doubt in my mind i think the braves can still take over this division me and kenny both have been on record for saying no matter how far the deficit got that we feel like the braves can still win this division this is the closest this race has been almost all year so we still have that opinion like we're still there I, Kenny, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I, I'm assuming you're still at that level with me. Oh, yeah, we're winning the division. And one key reason, this this is my only note I made. I don't have my little game-by-game things. Uh, it's harder whenever me and Kenny aren't doing as many episodes because back then when we were doing three episodes a week, it was easy. You just recap two games and you're done. We can't recap seven games in one episode. We don't have time for that. But I do want to mention Michael Harris. Uh, since the start of August, Michael Harris is a slash line. He's batting 364 with a 417 on base percentage of 646 slugging. That equals a 1.062 OPS. Also, 120 plate appearances, 40 hits, 26 runs, thir- or 13 doubles, 6 home runs, 20 RBIs, and 5 stolen bases. I know our good buddy Spencer Strider, the guy with the mustache, um, He's putting up a great fight for rookie of the year. The man had a 16 strikeout game since last time we recorded a podcast. But man, Michael Harris, man, I again, I know you always say this, but we can't talk enough about this kid. And I feel like every time we talk about Michael Harris, Von Grissom, and Spencer Strider, we're having the same conversation because these guys are just like young phenoms who feel like they came off of, you know, out of the middle of nowhere, mid to late round draft picks that are just superstars now with Atlanta. But this is the best of the bunch when it comes to raw talent. Michael Harris is legit a five-tool player. This man, I think, has is now has a higher war than Julio Rodriguez, who is getting so much hype over in Seattle. And this is going to be a superstar for years to come. This is a better talent than you know guys we've seen in the past that we've been really high on. And it, I'm I'm just so pumped to watch this kid for years to come. Yeah, I mean, he is quite literally built different. He is. He is. Right meow. Um. <laughs> right. Right meow. Michael right Harris now. is a Hall of Famer. Right now. Uh, and then my last note, I just have the rookie of the year race. Uh, Kenny, I do want to ask your opinion. Right now, if the season was to right now, if the season was to end, who would be your National League rookie of the year? Uh, for me, if the season were to end right now, I, I would I think I would give it to Strider. Um I love Michael Harris, and obviously what Michael Harris is doing is generational. Uh, it's something that not a lot of guys have been able to do, come up and dominate Im- immediately like he has, but um, I, I think you just think of what Spencer Strider has done for this team and what he has done value-wise. It's hard to look past the value of, I mean, truly an ace. I mean, this guy is quite literally the closest thing to Jacob DeGrom I feel like I have seen from a young guy. and It's crazy to say because I know in episodes past we had talked about how um, Spencer Strider – Dude, we were comparing him to DeGrom, and we kind of, you know, I mean, we're serious to an extent, but almost jokingly, because when you compare a guy to arguably the most dominant pitcher ever, it, you know, it, it's hard to take that person seriously. But, I mean, seriously, man, like, look at the numbers, look at what he's doing game after game. I mean, you talk about Braves record and strikeouts, um, and, I mean, his jersey's already, you know, in the hall. I mean, this dude is setting records and doing things that nobody else is doing. So I just think from a from an impact perspective, it's hard to look past the impact that a starting pitcher has because if it weren't for Max if it wasn't for Max Freed being who Max Freed is, Spencer Strider would be the ace on this team and an ace on just about any other team in the MLB. Yeah, and, and there's there's a legit argument that Spencer Strider 
over a full season of ball is your Cy Young winner right now. I don't think he's going to get that recognition because he didn't start. He didn't start making starts until May. But I mean, we look at the guy's war. I want to say he's in the top 10 in pitching in war in the National League. Obviously, the Braves lit up uh, Mr. Sandy Alcantara a couple nights ago in Miami, and it kind of helped both Strider and Freed and Kyle Wright's Cy Young, Cy Young chances. I, I do think Freed is probably the front runner among Braves pitchers right now, but I would not be surprised to see a guy like Spencer Strider receive some votes to be up there in that, you know, that upper echelon of the Cy Young candidacy. No, Spencer Strider, dude, he's just he's an absolute generational talent. And Michael Harris is too. This is a, I'm not talking bad about Michael Harris at all. Michael Harris is deserving of the rookie of the year just as much as anybody. But what we're seeing Spencer Strider do, we've just never seen it before. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I think I think we covered all the brave stuff. I, I don't know if you. I, I think that was your closing remarks. I already said mine. So is is this time? Is this is this time where we uh. Talk to is there Oregon fans left on the planet? Dude, I don't know. I mean, seriously, like we had boots on the ground at the game, and our, our friend of the show guest here, Mister Jacob Camp. Um, and I know early on when he when he first got there, he texted us and said, "I ain't gonna lie, boys, there's a lot of green in the stadium." Yeah, well, that didn't last very long because if you watch the game, there's about ninety percent UGA fans there. I mean, there was an Oregon student section or fan section, and then there was just little specks of green in a sea of red. I mean, this place is absolutely loaded with Georgia fans. So, Oregon fans, if you're listening to the show, you probably need to go ahead and tune out because that's not going to be a good episode for you because we're about to dive into some dog talk, man. I don't know how you could be an Oregon fan after this Saturday. Yeah, I, I think I think what had happened was is, is they wandered on into uh, Mercedes-Benz and with the with their uh, Marcus Mariota and DeAnthony Thomas jerseys on, they looked on the field and they said, uh, "That white guy at quarterback does not look like Marcus Mariota. He, he doesn't he doesn't play here anymore because I haven't been a fan since 2013 and I I don't know what's going on." Wait, DeAnthony Thomas doesn't play here anymore? Yeah, okay, okay, we're we're going home. We're gonna make that long trek home back to Oregon. Actually, I don't think most of them live in Oregon. I think they're just people that don't watch college football and just say, oh, that's a pretty uniform. Oh, they wear 87 uniforms in the span of seven, or I about said, I about one NFL style on us. I'm sorry. In the span of, uh, I'll give them 13 games because I do think they'll play a bowl game. Um, not, nothing, nothing more than 13 games. I don't know how they wear that many uniforms in that many games. I think they switch at halftime sometimes. It's, it's a pretty interesting cause there at Oregon. Uh, and, you know, they, they're wanderers. They, I don't think they listen to podcasts about football. They don't watch ESPN. They don't do their own research. They just said, oh, pretty color. I'm a fan of that football team. And I, I think whenever the actual football got to be playing, they said, oh, what is why are they throwing that brown ball around? And what what is what does the referee mean when he holds his arms up like he did a lot whenever Georgia was finding the end zone? Uh, so I think that that might be what had happened in this game. So I, I'm not going to ramble on too much. Kenny, I'm going to let you start off this conversation about what we're talking about right here. But I, I just, I just want to give my opinion on the Oregon fan, Oregon fans with quotations around it. Yeah, I mean, if you're an Oregon fan, I don't know what you're doing, man. You need to rethink your choices. Um, but without further ado, man, let's dive into this. Georgia fans, dog fans, dog nation, I'll call it. This is, in my opinion, the most dominant week one performance we've ever seen out of the Georgia Bulldogs. Thank you. Um, I would love to sit here and tell you that I was surprised, but... All in all, when I sit back and I think about what we saw 
and what this team showed us on Saturday, I'm really not. I mean, these are the defending national champs. I think the average football fan may be a little bit surprised to see the score. I mean, this is a 49 to three win, guys. 49 to three between a ranked matchup, a top two top 11 teams in the country facing off. But you talk about what we've said on the podcast multiple times about sports media discounting this Georgia team, saying that they lost 15 starters to the NFL. And absolutely they did. I mean, 15 starters, that can't go unnoticed. Obviously, when you take 15 guys and put them in the league off of a national championship team, it's easy to expect a letdown or a come-down season. But you know how it is in the SEC specifically, man. These teams reload. And a team like Georgia that has the recruits year after year, we have the guys on the roster, even the veteran talent that we have from your juniors and seniors. Like, this team really just – they just plug and play. They plug the guys there that, that need to be there, and they produce. And we saw that on Saturday. The fall-off just isn't there from what people said. So if you were down on this Georgia team, I hate it for you. Um, it's time to hop on the wagon. Yeah, and I, I, I want to go ahead and give you all the credit in the world, Kenny, because I, I remember vividly Friday afternoon I was at work, and we were, we were sending a couple texts back and forth about, about the Georgia-Oregon game. I had I – had, you know, I had brought up that I was slightly nervous, very slight nervousness. My, my 16 and a half point spread on Georgia was a little nerve wracking. I'm sorry to yeah. say this, Georgia fans. I, that, that is me as a person. I, I am a nervous person when it comes to sports, no matter what the matchup is, especially when you're facing a top 15 team in the country like Oregon. Kenny then replied to me and said, I am not worried about Oregon. We are going to, I don't know if this is the terms, and if you are below the age of, uh, I, don't, I don't know what this age limit is, if you're below the age of 16, I'll, I'll give you that. We are going to kick their ass, is what Mr. Kinney, I believe, said. So, <laughs> censorship right there. Sorry for the PG, PG crowd out there. Um, and All right, it's in the Bible. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, down south, baby, that's what we do. So, um, <laughs> so I will give Kenny all the credit in the world. He was, he was on this more than me. And uh, you are completely right. Holy hell. Uh, go dogs is about all I can say from this matchup. And, and they were just so dominant. Like you mentioned, we talk about losing starters and it's just reload time at Georgia. You know, you, you lose guys and you just reload. Like there, there's no problem. Oh, oh, guess what? You lose your top two running backs to the, to the NFL draft. Oh, well, you know, no worries. We have guys that are better than the guys we had last year. And I'm not stuttering, and I mean this personally, better than the guys we had last year. Confidently better than the guys we had last year. No, I agree. And I'll go ahead and say, um, I don't even know if we talked about this, Jake, but I did have a score prediction for this game. My score prediction was 54-17. to Um, So they even surpassed my expectations. Um, This team, man, this Georgia team is just so much – they're so different from what we've seen in the past. And I want to give all the credit in the world to Todd Munkin because, Todd Munkin, you are a saint. All right, this Georgia team, Jake, we have been watching Georgia play football our entire lives, and we've seen guys like Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle. Obviously, you get, you got guys like Todd Gurley. Um, you know, any of these big-name guys you want to talk about from, from – even you, you go to guys like DeAndre Swift, Elijah Holyfield, like the dominant running backs, the, the running game that the teams put out year after year. It has just been cookie-cutter, run-the-ball-down-your-throat football for years and years and years and years. And we bring a guy like Todd Munkin in here who has kind of slowly implemented the passing scheme and brought in a little bit more modern – I don't want to say air raid, but just the more modern air attack dynamic to this Georgia team. And this is something that Jake and I talked about and we've talked about in the past is it seems like ever since Todd Munkin has stepped in, 
what the biggest disconnect for this Georgia team has been is the quarterback position. Because yes. Todd Martin comes in. This is third year, right? Uh is this third or is this second? This is see, this is where this is where we get a little bit awkward right here. I, I'm sorry, Mr. Todd Munkin. Kenny, I am actually live looking that up right now. So I'm gonna keep on talking until I find the answer. 2020 through 2022. So yes, this is his third year, I believe. So you're talking about Todd Munkin coming in, his third season. One big question mark for Todd Munkin is since he started and, and kind of implemented this passing scheme into this Georgia team, he really hasn't had a solid number one surefire starting quarterback. Because um, you come in and you implement the offense into a Jake Fromm-esque team and then work your way into a crazy year where we saw the Jamie Newman fiasco all the way leading up to seeing us start Dewan Mathis week one. And then Dewan doesn't work out. You see JT come in. JT plays lights out. JT Daniels is – you know, plays some of the best football that we've seen from the quarterback position in such a short period of time. And the JT goes down, Stetson comes in, and then it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, leading up to the national championship. So this is, man, I want that. That's just even more of a testament to Todd Munkin. But all that aside, you have a full season post national championship where you know Stet is your guy. Stet is the number one quarterback. He's going to be the starter for this team, and he has a full season of getting the number one reps. Studying the offense, developing under Munkin, and kind of figuring out how they want to run this thing. And they show up week one against the number 11 ranked team in the country. And Stetson goes for 368 yards in the air and two touchdowns. The man throws six incompletions, 25 for 31 on the day. Like, this offense is so dynamic. And it is such a breath, a breath of relief for Georgia fans because we just haven't seen this type of play. And we don't get me wrong, we've been dominating for – for years now we've been dominating in, in, in what we've seen in sec play you know specifically in the east but not in the fashion that we saw it saturday and man does it feel good because dude when you see teams like alabama and how they've been able to change their game from the derrick henry um you know trent richardson even the the eddie lacy days to slinging the the ball all around with tua and jalen hurts and and mac jones they've kind of evolved their game around what college football is now and georgia's been a little bit behind on that and we're finally here so dude all the credit in the world to todd monk and all the credit in the world to stetson bennett but this is the team that you want to see and one thing before i get off my soapbox here jake and i'll let you hit on some of your things i want to say in a post-game interview with kirby smart man this is what being a fan of this team is all about and what gets you excited the only thing bad about how Georgia has run this offense in the past is it just makes it less appealing to wide receiver recruits and quarterback recruits because it's like they don't sling the ball. You're not going to get the numbers. Uh, the negative aspect of going to UGA for a receiver has been they're not going to turn out that next level talent that Alabama does because they don't get the game planning and the, the passing production that you see. And Kirby literally came out in the postgame interview and said, yeah, I mean, you know, if you – are watching this as a recruit, I don't understand how you could look at this offense and say, man, I don't want to play in that offense. And that is, man, that is so good to hear because when we're out here recruiting these highly touted wide receivers and tight ends like the crazy room we have and these quarterbacks, this is the offense you want to play in. This is the team you want to come play for and get these kind of crazy passing games that, that you see like we had on Saturday. So, man, I can't say enough about it. I'm super excited, Jake. I'll let you kind of take the floor here. And, and I, I want to express to wide receiver recruits out there that uh, 
former three-star recruit, uh, Mr. Andrew McConkie, a.k.a. Lad McConkie, um, went out this game and balled out uh, five receptions, 73 yards, a tutty. He also had two carries, 16 yards, a tutty. This man was out here shaking people, and he is involved in this offense. He was involved in this offense last year. This year, it seems like it's a whole nother level of Lad McConkie. So I'm not going to say that if he can do it, that anybody can do it, because obviously we love Lad on this podcast. Lad McConkie is a great talent. He plays way above that three-star level that they have him rated at whenever he was coming out of high school. He is uh, the perfect number two guy to have uh, on the opposite side of the field with uh, A.D. Mitchell. Dude, you are completely right with how this works. Um, going back to your Todd Munkin and Stetson Bennett, uh, I want to say, Georgia fans, enjoy it while we have it. That That is what I want to say, because this is going to be the last season that we see of Stetson Bennett and, um, I'm sorry, look, now I, I'm so far out. Um, this, this is going to be the last, <laughs> oh my lord, I'm too excited to talk about this. Why, why is the... Todd Munkin, Lord have mercy. Uh, this is going to be the last season we see of Mr. Stetson Bennett and Todd Munkin. Because Todd Munkin is going to get a head coaching job somewhere next year. And Stetson Bennett is going to be uh, wearing the same colors, relatively, in the NFL with the Atlanta Falcons. So, you know, enjoy it while we can. Um, there's just so much talent, man. We talk about how the offense has completely changed. And we see a guy like Kenny McIntosh... Uh, the way that we used Mr. Kenny McIntosh out of the backfield was amazing. It was almost like our threats on offense had Oregon scared to play close to the line of scrimmage. And we took advantage of it so hard. Kenny McIntosh with five or uh, nine receptions with 117 yards. Um, dude, it, it, it was crazy. Also, I, I did want to do a little mention of Mr. Darnell Washington. Um, not only in the receiving game did he have an impact, but dude, whenever you line him up to block, linebackers or crush down on DNs or even out wide to block corners on those swing routes. Dude, he is so such a dominant force when it comes to blocking. It is insane. This is going to be a guy that is going to get paid very, very well at the next level. And his stats don't even matter because there are going to be a there's going to be a playoff team like the Buffalo Bills or the Kansas City Chiefs that are going to be picking down near the low down in the 20s in the first round and be like, okay, we can get this six eight 270 pound freak that can block and jump up and catch the ball over anybody right here right now we don't have no needs on our team let's grab this guy right here and let's make him work in our offense so this whole georgia team is just phenomenal on the defensive side of the ball we talk about a guy like chris smith who last year was what was a breakout year and this year he's the captain of the defense this this is probably the best player i'm, I'm sorry jalen carter I, I actually i'm not gonna put him over jalen carter jalen carter is a freak of nature Chris Smith is probably the captain of this defense. Chris Smith is the dynamic of what we love about Georgia football with hard physical play, but also smart play. He, he, ne he never breaks too hard on routes. He has the coverage ability of a top-tier safety, but he also will come down and boom like a linebacker. This guy is an all-around player. Um, I also wanted to mention freshman Malachi Starks. Um, he led the team in tackles with eight. He also got an interception on Bo Nix on his first deep passing attempt. Probably the only one I feel like I saw the whole game that Bo... Bo mustered up his, his nice little arm and threw a little noodle down the field. And uh, Malachi turned, went towards the receiver, turned his head, ball was there, jumped up, picked it. It was it, the most routine thing you will see from an 18-year-old safety playing in, in a top 15 matchup in college football. Well, that's a perfect intro to the defensive side of the ball because that's another thing I was going to mention to Jake is, and we kind of talked about it all fair, but 
this UGA team, specifically under Kirby Smart, has been notorious for playing the guys that have been there, the guys that have, you know, got the reps in practice and, and been there for year after year. Kirby's just the most loyal head coach in college football. So one thing that we've been preaching in this podcast for preseason talk is the youth on this defense and the young guys that are going to come in that we've kind of expected to have a little bit of an impact. But you you, you talk about guys like JDJ, guys like, like, like Smell Munden, guys like Malachi Starks, like you just said. Like, these are guys that we expected to have an impact, but I didn't expect them to come in as early as they did. I mean, these guys were trotting out there like drive one. Yeah. The, and, and I just didn't expect to see that from Kirby. So that that's an, another thing that makes me feel good as a Georgia fan because the youth is the youth talent is just all around incredible on both sides of the ball, but specifically the defense with these guys. Um so it, it was really good to see these guys get some get some smoke early on. Yeah, and you can kind of tell that going throughout the game, Georgia kind of had a bend don't break approach on defense. Like I, I was I was watching the game and I know a lot of people were complaining, oh, Georgia can't cover deep, cover the short stuff. We don't have to cover the short stuff because we know whenever we get the ball on offense, we are going to score seven. We can give up three as long as we score seven. That is the whole aspect of the game. And like I said, we were not worried about the short stuff. Um, as soon as we start playing teams that are willing to throw the ball down the field, that's whatever we will see. Keely Ringo, Kamari Lasseter, Mr. Bill Poole, they will all start to make those plays on the outside. It was kind of a quiet game from our cornerback group, I will admit, but it's because they didn't have chances. Like When, when was one time you saw Bo Nix target one of, an outside throw 15 yards down the field other than the pick by Malachi Starks? Like It was not a common occurrence in this game. So Later on in the year, I'm sure we will see these guys ball out. Obviously, we know Keely Ringo is an absolute stud. He's going to be a first-round pick in the draft next year. And Kamari Lasseter is an upcoming superstar at Georgia football. So we have a lot of things to look forward to. Um, I, I don't have many negatives to mention on this podcast talking about Georgia. Obviously, a 49-3 to victory is, is the biggest positive out of everything. But I do want to mention one negative. Um, and that, that, is, that is mentioning Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Smile Munden. Uh, I, I, I thought they played good ball. And I feel like as the experience grows, we'll get a little bit better ball out of them. I, I do feel like that the run game, if Oregon would have stuck with it, they they kind of moved the ball a little bit more than I would like to see with with those two guys, you know, at, at the linebacker spots. But I, I do think that that will be cleaned up probably going into next week. Obviously, we have we have a cupcake one against Sam for next week. But um, I, I do want to see those guys make a little bit bigger of an impact when it comes to the run. Well, not to discount what, what you said there, Jake, because that's an absolute valid point. But I will say this Oregon offense was a little bit different than I think what we expected because they didn't really focus in between the tackles as much as we thought. It was a lot of east-west, a lot of a lot of outside the tackles, a lot of swing routes to running backs. So you got to see guys like JDJ and Small Munden do a little bit of more side-to-side, east-to-west traveling, if you will, um, instead of just running downhill, plugging holes like the traditional linebackers you see. So I think that kind of threw me off a little bit because a guy like like Smell Munden in particular, this is a guy that we've known to just be a hard nose, in your face, gritty type player. Mm-hmm. So um, and, and it, it's good to see that he has different facets of his game that he can explore, and they do have the athleticism to go east and west and make these you know wrap up tackles on the sidelines. But yeah, no, no, that's a fair point there, and um, I, you'll definitely see some more of that as the season unfolds. And uh, I think my only last thing I want to mention, uh, obviously, I, I want to go back to the offense one second. Uh, we didn't mention the offensive line, I don't think. The offensive line absolutely showed out. There was a couple little slip-ups. I know Tate Radledge had a pretty pretty ugly rep out there, but uh, overall, the offensive line was amazing. Um, they, you know, stuck it tight. I don't, Stetson didn't get sacked one time. So 
We'd love to see that. Obviously, uh, I do want to mention Stetson Bennett took that one hard hit and he delivered the ball to A.D. Mitchell downfield. Man got leveled, and as soon as he hits the ground, his eyes are up trying to see where that ball lands. He's not worried about trying to draw the flag. He's not worried about none of that stuff. He is worried about if the play got made. Whenever he saw the ball got catched, caught, he was showing out. Stetson was down the field flexing. There was a, there was a clip out there of Broderick Jones going over there and getting in his face. Broderick Jones is an absolute alien of a, of a football player out there. I'm really, really happy to see him on the field. He's, he's a freaking beast, man. Broderick Jones is, is insane. And it, it was just a beautiful thing to see. We talk about quarterbacks. We talk about guys that are gamers. And Stetson Bennett is, you know, the the description of a, a gamer at the quarterback position. Not like Mr. Uh, Bo Nix across the field from him. No, and you said it perfectly there. I mean, Stetson Bennett, regardless of how you view him as just a pure passer, um, Stetson is exactly what every other 130 FBS teams want at the quarterback position. This is a football player's player. This is a football guy's guy. And Stetson Bennett takes a lick and hops up, looks down the field to see if the play gets made. And what more can you want from a guy like this? I mean, you talk about Stetson, who the biggest knock on Stetson last year was his big game ability because you kind of see where Stetson maybe got a little bit, you know, big time deer in the headlights looking, you know, dropping balls in the natty or in the SEC championship against Bama. But this dude takes a whole full offseason as being the number one guy, shows up in this game and goes out there and looks like freaking Lamar Jackson running around, toting the ball like a loaf of bread. I mean, he just dropping back in the pocket, swerving around guys, getting out, you know, making moves, give you a little shimmy shake and then toss it 50 yards down the field. Like this, Stetson Bennett is, he looked like a completely different player to me. I mean, and we were already high on him to begin with. Um, and one thing I want to say before we dive out of here and we hop into some more college football um, before we round out this Georgia team, because I hadn't mentioned him yet. Um, guys, we've been preaching it for weeks. If you're not on the Kenny Mack hype train, it's time to get on it. Yeah, 100% time to get on the Kenny Mack. I agree. It, yeah, you, you need to get on right now because Kenny Mack, only five carries on the ground, 18 yards and a tud. Led the team in receiving yards and receptions. He had nine receptions, 117 yards. Kenny McIntosh is maybe, and this you know, hot take of the year right here, Kenny McIntosh might be the most NFL-ready running back that we've had since Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb. I agree, 100%. So if you're not on the Kenny Mack hype train, all aboard, it's time to get on here because Kenny Mack is the truth. And the way this offense is going, if we can keep up this little swing passing out of the backfield, running wheel routes and catching the ball and making moves and getting downfield like he's been doing, this is going to be a guy to watch. And he's going to climb up a lot of people's Heisman watch boards. Yeah, and NFL scouts are going to be absolutely drooling over this guy. I'm sure they already are right now, knowing that he's, he's draft eligible after the year. And I'm assuming that his stock is only going to rise. And I would not be surprised if he jumps over a guy like, John Robinson and stuff going into this NFL draft. We always see those guys that seem like they come out of almost nowhere. And Kenny McIntosh says, Georgia fans, we know who he, who he is, but nationally he has not got a lot of attention before this year. So, you know, I, I'm rooting for the guy. Obviously, we talk about him. Um, NFL, so NFL ready. He makes people miss an open field. He gets the ball in his hands. He has great hands. Um, and obviously, he didn't showcase his running ability too much in this game, but we know Kenny McIntosh can tote the ball. Like, There's no question that Kenny McIntosh can run the ball. 
and showing off his receiving ability, that that's what takes you to the next level, in my opinion, whenever you're trying to run this style of offense. So whenever you have a running back that can go out and do that at the level of Kenny McIntosh, this offense is almost unstoppable in my eyes. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Uh, I, All right. I, I think I think that wraps up my my Georgia stuff. Uh, I, I don't I don't want to you know beat the horse beat the dead horse too long. So huh. sorry, yeah, Oregon I mean, fans. In a, in a forty-nine point offensive route and a 49-3 win, I mean, what more can you say other than Dog Nation? It's here. Football season is here. It's time to go. So hop on the train, pack your bags because it's going to be a long season full of some really, really good football. And I cannot wait to watch this team play. Hell yeah. Go dogs. Go dogs, baby. All right, let's head into the next segment. We want to talk in a little bit of SEC. Um, I think Jake and I came up with a little thing earlier today where we want to talk about the SEC as a whole, all 14 teams, what we saw, what impressed us, what didn't impress us, and what kind of you know went along with, with what we kind of expected. So a little segment here, um, and I'll kind of just go ahead and kick us off, Jake, if you don't mind. Oh, go ahead with it, Kenny. You got it. All right, we are going to do the SEC in three groups sec teams who impressed us who underwhelmed us a little bit and who kind of stayed par for the course what we expected to see from these teams in week one um i'll kick us off let's start with who impressed us um without getting into anything crazy because this team is what they are um from what we've seen week zero and week one i have been very impressed by this vanderbilt commodores team you know, I, I, I'll go. I'll let you go ahead and kick it off. But I, I also have Vanderbilt on my list, so we, we can kind of do a little double take on Vanderbilt. So I don't, I don't have to repeat what you're saying twice. Well, the thing about Vandy, man, is you know you, you're not going to get stellar play from Vandy. We know that. We've been watching SEC ball for a long time. But Vandy starts off the year two and zero, a couple cupcake games. But they pass the ball efficiently. They played really, you know, kind of fundamental football. And uh, I'm not going to break into the stats anymore and talk about this team from a ground up standpoint because they you know kind of are what they are but Vanderbilt um this is a team who's over under and wins was set at two and a half and they're sitting here at two wins already it looks like the over is a clear lock yeah and uh my my one key thing I want to mention is uh quarterback Mike Wright has been kind of playing out of his mind again you mentioned they played some cupcake games but we're used to seeing these Vanderbilt teams even their quarterbacks struggle in games like this and he has been amazing throwing the ball all the way around the yard, running the ball all over the place. And I, I am very, very excited or I'm not even going to say excited. I'm curious to see what he can do against a legit team. And luckily enough for us fans, uh, we get to see that next week. Uh, they face off against Wake Forest. And uh, I, d- I do want to mention a little quick note. Sam Hartman is uh, activated. He is now able to play football again, which is great news around the college football world. He's one of the best in college football, so we're excited about that. I'm sure that we're uh, going to be, me and Kitty both are going to be tuning into that game a little bit. I think it's on the SEC Network at 12 o'clock, so it's it's one of the early on games. I know that the bigger games start happening around 3.30, Georgia, and I want to say Florida play at 3.30, so I'm sure we'll probably be tuning in to catch old Mike Wright and see what he can do against a, a legit college football team. Yeah, agreed. Uh, that that's going to be a pretty exciting game, especially if Sam Hartman gets in there. Exactly. I'm I'm ready to watch him. I'm happy that he's back on a football field. Obviously, it doesn't matter if you're a fan of the team or not. These are all young men, and we want to see them be healthy and succeed. Even if it's a team that we hate, we are still rooting for the person. <laughs> I'll say it like that. We that's we do right. not want we do want we do not want the negative for anybody. I think me and Kitty both last year watching the national championship, we see Jamison Williams go down. We are heartbroken in that moment. Um. 
obviously at that point your fandom goes away and you're more concerned with the person over your sports team because these are people these are young men playing football something that they love to do something that they've done their whole life so seeing a guy like sam hartman go through the i don't i don't know exactly what he had medically wrong with him but i know he had some serious condition and to see him be able to be cleared and play football again is is going to be amazing Absolutely, absolutely. All right, Jake, I'll let you kick it off. Who's another team in the SEC that impressed you week one? All right, so I know we're sticking around three teams, so that's one one for each. So now I have two left on my board, and I'm trying to sit, decide which order I want to go in, and I, I think I know exactly what order I want to go in because I want to keep the exciting one for last. Uh, I'm going to go with Arkansas, and this is an interesting one because I don't even want to say too much that they impressed me. I, I know I, before the podcast, I kind of talked to you and said that, man, Kenny, I, I'm really not impressed with too many SEC teams. Right. Like there are some teams that disappointed me. There are some teams that did how I thought they were supposed to do. But I was not overly impressed with many teams. And I don't want to say I was overly impressed with Arkansas. But I do think Arkansas proved that they are still a near top tier team in the SEC with a win over Cincinnati. I know they only beat Cincinnati by seven points, but Cincinnati is still a tough team, even though they had the. Oh, I'm sorry about that. They had significant losses to the NFL draft. Um, I expect them to be a good team moving forward. And I expect them to be a very competitive team when it comes to teams like Texas A&M and the old misses of the world. Um, KJ Jefferson, this guy, I know we talk about him in our sec quarterback ratings as one of the better qu- quarterbacks in college football. He is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. I will happily say that if you rate him in your top 15 in college football, I would not argue with you one bit, maybe top 10. This guy is an amazing dual threat quarterback that could do it all through the air and do it all through the ground. Um, and, Sophomore running back Raheem Sanders. This guy went on the field and absolutely went crazy. They ran the ball all over the place this past weekend against Cincinnati. And senior Trey Knox, uh, you know, big tight end, he went out and had a great game too. Caught two tuds. Um, so I, I was really, really impressed with what I saw from Arkansas. I like that. Um, I, I did not have Arkansas on my impress me list, um, but uh, you know that that doesn't go to say that they did not impress me at all because. That Arkansas-Cincinnati game was a pretty interesting matchup for week one, so I like that a lot. Um, number two on my list for teams that impressed me, um, I, I have Missouri right here. Missouri, um, okay. I thought Missouri played a really quality game against Louisiana Tech. Now, Louisiana Tech is not a highly touted program that uh, you know some, some other teams are, but I won't go as far to call it as much of a cupcake game as others. Louisiana Tech's a notable football program. They win some games. They play decent football year after year. Um, and a team like Missouri is a team that we really weren't sure what we were going to get because you lose a guy like like Basilek, and um, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Cameron Basilek, I think. Yeah, yeah. You lose a guy like Basilek, and you really don't know what you're going to get in terms of offensive production. And Missouri came out there and ran the ball all around the yard. I want to say they had upwards of like 320 total rushing yards against Louisiana Tech in Week One, which is an absurd number. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get too much on the, on the Missouri soapbox here, but, um, I was pretty impressed with what I saw from Missouri Tigers in week one. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I didn't really keep up. To, I, I, I'm just being transparent here. I did not watch the Missouri game. All, all I saw was box score and you're right. It, it's not the most cupcake game in the world at all. So for them to go out and get a pretty significant win, it, it's definitely a meaningful thing. I did not have them on any of my list. Um, I'll be completely honest. So I'm happy that you did cover them a little bit and feature what they did. I'm sorry, Missouri fans that I'm, I'm a stooge and <laughs> Kenny is clearly not. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a good. Take. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a good take. I, I just didn't want to put 
Missouri and Vanderbilt, right? Like I, I had I had to lean away. And like I, I had mentioned before with Arkansas, Arkansas didn't overly impress me. I just feel like that they they showed that they can continue what they're gonna do. Honestly, I, I feel like I would prefer to have them more down in the ex- I where I expected them, because I bet I will be completely honest, I bet them six and a half and they won by seven. So <laughs> I don't think I could expect, you know, I don't think I didn't expect that level of play. So, you know, I I, I like the Missouri take. All right, so who was your number three team that impressed you week one in the SEC? Okay, I'm going to switch it up. And instead of saying the number three team that impressed me, I'm going to say the number one team that impressed me. And I am so sorry, Georgia fans. I, hold up. Let, let, me, let me take my hat off for a second. My brand new, beautiful Georgia hat I bought this weekend. Um, my team that impressed me the most was the, the Florida Gators. Uh, <laughs> All right. Oh, that hurt. That, that hurt me so bad to say that. My heart is hurting. Uh. Florida, Florida went into this game facing a very, very tough Utah team. Um, I do want to mention this is the 12th ranked Florida in the country right now. Uh, <laughs> Jump from unranked to 12th after this big win against Utah. Um, Anthony Richardson, this is the main reason that they impressed me. Anthony Richardson is a dynamic playmaker on the ground in college football. I don't know. I, I-, I want to be completely transparent. I don't know how that success is going to transfer over playing better SEC level defenses, but in this game, it worked great for them. Um, obviously they played a close game down to the wire. Mr. Uh, Mr. Cam, Cam, Cam rising, I believe is the quarterback for Utah, right? Um, yep. he threw a pretty key interception late in the game that, you know, if, if he would have probably hung in the pocket or threw the ball away and took another play, they might've won that game. But Anthony Richardson looked like an absolute baller on the field. He was, he was flashy. He was crazy. He was out there showing out. He did a crazy little pump fake jump, pump fake throw where tricked two defenders, then went outside and got a wide open receiver in the end zone. Um, he, he looked great. Uh, Louisiana transfer Montreal Johnson at running back. He came over with Mr. Billy Napier. He also had a huge game on the ground. Florida ran the ball all over Utah, which was, which was pretty crazy. Um, I, I do have a couple negative things I want to say. I, I do want to see AR-15 do a little bit more with his arm because like I had mentioned earlier, you start facing these top-tier SEC defenses. I don't know if you're going to be able to run for over 100 yards and three touchdowns like against Georgia. So I, I do want to see him do a little bit more. Um, also, the game was in the swamp, which is a very, very key thing to note because Utah is not used to that humidity. So <laughs> you take them down to the swamp in an early September game where I was down in Florida. It was like 96 where I was, so I can't imagine what it was over there. That, that's a big thing. I was watching the game live. I saw Utah players going to the sidelines and puking as soon as they got the field. So maybe it might be something with the swap, but I, I have to give them credit here. I, I Out of all the SEC matchups outside of Georgia, this was the most impressive one to me. Yeah, well, I, I don't want to talk about it uh, because Florida was on my impress me list as well, and you covered it, so I, I don't want to talk about Florida anymore. So, Jake, uh, who are some teams that underwhelmed you in the SEC? I love it, Kenny. I love it. So I, I have four. Is, is is this breaking the rules? I know we we're supposed to do three, but I have four. <laughs> it's okay. I had a couple that were teetering between underwhelmed and looked about right to me. So uh, uh, let's 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 hear what you got to say. Go ahead and rip off two of them. Okay, I'll I'll rip us. I'll start us off with Kentucky. Um, Kentucky struggled in the first half against the Miami Ohio team. I'm not saying Miami Miami Ohio is a bad football team. They they are a decent football program. Don't get me wrong. But to go into halftime up only 13 to 10 against that team scares me because Kentucky, I know, is a team that me and you were both very high on. 
we do talk about Kentucky. Kentucky's not a flashy team. Kentucky's not a team yeah. you expect to go out and win by 50 every game. That's not Kentucky's brand of football. Kentucky's brand of football is winning by 26 to 13 or 23 to 21. Like that, that that's more Kentucky style. Will Levis did not look great. He had a 46 QBR in a game against Miami, Ohio. That is a concerning thing for me. I know we talked about Will Levis in our quarterback rankings, how he has the upside to be a top-tier quarterback in the SEC and a top-tier quarterback in this upcoming NFL draft, but he has to show off that potential first, and he has not quite hit that level. Something else I wanted to know about Kentucky, they struggled to run the ball without Mr. Chris Rodriguez. They averaged 1.9 yards per attempt. That is absolutely sad against this team. If you think that is going to get any better in SEC play, sorry, buds, it's not. They need Chris Rodriguez on the field. I don't want to speak on it because I don't know his situation, what's going on with that. All I'm saying for Kentucky's fans, you you better hope that he is on the field soon or it, it could turn ugly quick. Um, I do want to mention they have a huge week two matchup against Florida that they can completely change the narrative on this. And I mean, they did end up winning decently big. Like it, it wasn't like the game was close throughout, but I, I, I always look at the first half and see how teams start out because first half matters. You play like that in the first half against a team like Tennessee, they might be up 35 to 10 against you. Like you can't go around and play against some of these teams out there. Um, also, Virginia Tech transfer receiver Tavion Robinson. He, he did play good, which was nice to see. I know we had mentioned a lot of the stuff we had mentioned going into the year was Wandell Robinson le- leaving Kentucky being a big impact on Will Levis, but this guy stepped in and he looked like a number one receiver. So that, that, that was at least a positive note that they had. I like that. I, I actually did not have Kentucky on my um, underwhelming list, but they very well could have been there. Can I, can I do a little pause right here, Kenny? Go ahead. Um, I do want to mention the New York Mets lost to the Pittsburgh Pirates today, two to eight. And the Braves are currently beating the Oakland Athletics three to nothing in the first inning. So by the I'm not going to say by the end of this podcast, we're going to be long gone by the point that this game is over with. But there is a good possible chance that, uh, you know, that the Braves, the Braves just might be might be doing something special. The Braves might be on to something tonight. Um, well, with that note, I'll, I'll go ahead and hop into my next team. Um, my next team is LSU. I don't have very many notes on this game because I feel like the game, if you watch it yourself, you kind of understand what happened because I can't really point out a, a single thing other than their uh, All-American freshman last year jumped up, celebrated, and tore his ACL. That's kind of what, you know, that kind of shows how this game went for LSU. Just a sloppy football game. There was They had no discipline. It was, it was a terrible football game when it comes to execution by LSU. Um, I hate to say it, too, because Jaden Daniels came over from Arizona State and looked great to me. I'm not going to say amazing, but he really, really impressed me as somebody that was low on Jane Daniels and seeing what he could do. Um, he's another guy like Anthony Richardson on the ground. That There was just almost no answer for him on the ground. He was just doing what he wanted to do. One key thing I did want to say about him, um, I, I wish he would kind of go through his progression a little bit more. Um, I know that Keish, what is it, Keyshawn Butte, yeah. he was struggling with an injury. Was it him that was struggling with the injury a little bit? No, no, I'm sorry. No, he wasn't. Now I'm thinking about the Ohio State wide receiver. Keyshawn Boutte just didn't get targets. They, he just he, he was, and he did have a couple of them. I know he gave up on a route in the end zone that would, would have probably been a touchdown. Uh, but I, I would like to see Jaden Daniels go a little bit more through progression and try to drive that ball down the field a little bit more. And I do want to mention, too, before I get off LSU, they did have multiple chances to win this game. Florida State gave LSU every opportunity to win this game, and they did not come through. And that is a not that is not a very good look for Mr. Brian Kelly in his first uh, first game at LSU. 
Yeah, and I'll hop in here too because I'm on the record for being a little bit higher on LSU than most. Um, when you look at this LSU roster from top to bottom, it, it's one of the better looking rosters from a recruiting standpoint because LSU does get the big recruits. Um, one thing LSU's kind of lost in years past is the ability to recruit the state of Louisiana, and Brian Kelly's really starting to. So um, I'm looking, you know, Brian Kelly, guys, don't, don't get me wrong. People love to make fun of him for the fake accent, the family. Uh, but Brian Kelly is is a very, very good football coach. He's a guy that's going to win some games for this LSU Tigers program, um, but it, it may take a little bit of time. Um, but, no, absolutely right. LSU is the number one team that really disappointed me and underwhelmed me in week one. Um, they just – Jaden Daniels is the only player for this football team that showed up to play. I agree. Jaden Daniels was great, and the rest of the team was eh. – I mean, he showed up and did everything he could to single-handedly win this football game. This guy had 209 yards through the air with two touchdowns and an 84 QBR um, and 16 carries for 114 rushing yards, averaged seven yards a carry. Um, this guy was, was toting the ball around. The second closest rusher on the team was Noah Kane with seven carries for 23 yards. Like, the, he's not getting any help. This offensive line looked putrid. The defense looked absolutely horrendous. Um, I, this LSU team, man, like if they're going to make any noise in the SEC or this season at all, they're going to have to step it up big time and kind of rally behind Jaden Daniels and figure out what the heck they're going to do because this was a T-total piss-poor performance from the entire team. And um, I don't know of a more disappointing week one team that I watched than this LSU Tigers team. I, I agree 100%. And I do want to mention they ruined – uh, our SEC perfect streak through week one, which is kind of sad because obviously we talk about it. We don't root for S. We don't. I mean, I, I I want SEC teams to win against out of conference teams. I I want it to look better on Georgia's resume whenever we go in and beat these teams hard. I know we don't play LSU this year, but still, you want your conference to win. Be obviously, as SEC fans, we catch a lot of slack. People always come to L people always come at SEC fans like, oh, the SEC is overrated. Well, guess what? We just destroyed. Your conference's best teams, and LSU did not help us on that case this weekend, and it disappointed me. No, that is disappointing. That's going to give us a little bit of animosity towards LSU headed into week two. Yes. Um, all right, number two team for me on the underwhelming list. Uh, this was Ole Miss. Um, I, I was pretty underwhelmed with Ole Miss uh, for for multiple reasons. Um, I will say this to kind of preface my negative take on, on Ole Miss from week one. Troy is not as big of a cupcake game as other teams got. Uh, Troy is a pretty good program. Um, they played decent ball year in, year out. Um, but you bring in a guy like Jackson Dart, who I know, y'all, the sample size isn't incredible, but Jackson Dart is a notable football player, a guy that we really thought was going to come into this Lane Kiffin system and, and give us some, some positive production for this Ole Miss team. Um, one positive thing I will say about them is the rushing game. The rushing game was was outstanding. I mean, Zach Evans, this is a guy that UGA was high on. UGA fans, we were trying to get this guy in. He had some character issues, ended up going down to TCU, and eventually makes his way into uh, into Oxford. Um, 20 carries for 130 yards, average 6.5 yards per carry. Dude was toting the rock. Um, and then and then Quinshawn Judkins, uh, 14 carries for 87 yards and a touchdown. And then Jackson Dart as well, 40 yards on the ground. They ran the ball pretty good. Uh, they struggled through the air. Jackson Dart, 18 for 27, 154 yards with a touchdown and interception. Averaged 5.7 yards per completion with a 79 QBR. That's not stellar. Um, it, overall, 
Honestly, a 28-10 win over this Troy team is not the worst performance I've ever seen, but for a team like Ole Miss that you really thought was going to show out a little bit more, I would say uh, week one for me was a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I, I left Ole Miss off my list, and actually I started to type them on my list, and, and I decided to back off of it. The one key thing I noticed is that I think that it was it was a 28-3 to game until midway through the fourth quarter. I think that's whenever uh, Troy scored their touchdown. So uh, that, I kind of bet maybe back off a little bit. And like I said, I, I, there was, I was disappointed in, in a couple teams this week. So uh, I, I, I had a couple teams I, I was probably a little bit more disappointed in than I was with Ole Miss. You're right. I, I did expect the offense to take that next step. But as soon as I clicked on that box score and I saw what Zachary Evans did, it, it, it kind of changed my mind a little bit because he, that dude toted the football. And he's a guy that, that he's a guy that all college football fans know that he has talent. So, you know, I'm not really too surprised about it. I, I am happy that he's finally getting that chance. I'm hoping that whatever character issues he was going through have changed. And hopefully he's a different person now. Obviously, I know in high school, whenever, like you said, Georgia was recruiting him. Um, he, he was going through some stuff in high school where he was kind of I, I think he had an issue where he got kicked off the football team and all that fun stuff. And he had to go down to TCU. Now he's at Ole Miss. He's figuring stuff out, which was good to see. Obviously, we talk about a guy uh, like Jackson Dart that I know me and you were both pretty high on as a guy that has a lot of arm talent. Another situation where you just have to drive the ball down the field more. I, I, I want to see him take more chances. And, you know, we didn't really get to see that too much in week one. I'm assuming as, you know, weeks go on, obviously he's new to this program. I'm, I'm hoping that maybe they'll open up more opportunities for him to get those chances and, and he'll improve as the season goes on. Yeah, no, I agree there. Uh, you know, Ole Miss is kind of a, a borderline team for me here, and the only reason I put them there was the the, the passing game. Um, all right, Jake, who do you have next on your underwhelming list? Okay, so I got two teams left. Um, I, I'm curious to see who your number one team is, so I, I'm going to guess who your number one team is, and I'm going to save that one for my last guess. And that means that means right here, I'm going to go with uh, Texas A&M. And... I'm I'm not going to say Texas A&M overly disappointed me because I do feel like they cleaned up stuff a lot. But I, I do want to mention first half stuff. Uh, the offense did not look great to start the game. And their only their first their only two touchdowns in the first half both came off busted coverages. So that that is one thing that that kind of made me a little bit nervous is I I know that there's still touchdowns. They still happen. Obviously, guys beat guys. You can make the argument, but it's just stuff that you see that you probably wouldn't see against higher level competition. And they did look shaky off, off the start. The offensive line looked uh, rough. I, I will say that uh, Devon A-Chain really struggled to get the ball moving on the ground. And that, that's a very significant thing. Cause I know Kenny, you were high on him. He was your sleeper Heisman pick going into the year. And I'm also very high on him. I think he's one of the, one of the better Texas a running backs that we've seen in the past couple of years. And Texas a is a school that has produced great running backs, not really at the NFL level, but in the college level, they usually have a solid running back back there, similar to what Kentucky has done in the past. Uh, Haynes King threw two interceptions, but he, he did he did look pretty decent, I will say. Uh, he kind of got a little bit more comfortable back there as the game kind of moved on. Um, wide receiver Anaya Smith looked like a really, really big breakout candidate in the SEC this year. He might turn out to be one of the better receivers that we see play college football this year, I think, after his after his week one performance. And the defense still looked pretty good. I mean, the de the defense was locked in. Obviously, with Texas A&M, you expect to see a pretty good defense. That's one thing that they've been pretty popular with. So I, I, I was I was encouraged by that. So I actually um, maybe went a little bit out of order here. My number one most disappointing team was LSU, and I did already talk about them. So... Um, I will go ahead and let you list your final team on the underwhelming list, Jake. 
Okay, so is this is this like where I'm guessing that this is where I'm guessing your final team too? Because this is how, how am I saved it for you? Yeah, I think we're probably going to go the same way here. South Carolina. Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, South Carolina. I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and break it down. Uh, offensive line looked absolutely awful. South Carolina's offensive line is terrible. I went back and watched film because I did not watch this game live. I'm sorry. Um, and I I don't want to put it all on Spencer Rattler anymore. Spencer Rattler did not look great, but after watching the the film, Georgia State was on him. Like every single play, he was getting pressured, having to move out of the pocket. Um, obviously, it it was it was pretty bad too in the rushing department. They only averaged two point five yards per carry. Rattler did have did do a little bit of work through the air. Like I mentioned, he did have one touchdown, two interceptions against the Georgia State team, which we do not think is very great. Even though they did beat Tennessee in Tennessee, I don't know if it was a couple of years back. Um, but just overall, this is a team that we were we were excited for we thought had some pretty decent upside the defense allowed five yards per carry against georgia state another pretty concerning thing you see if you're doing that against georgia state sec teams are going to absolutely eat you up which i'm assuming is going to happen now south carolina is probably my biggest dropper in the sec after week one after seeing how they performed so the thing about south carolina for me um south carolina is the only team on my underwhelming list where I did not find one aspect of the team to take a positive note from. They did not have a positive note. There's not a single positive note in sight. The offensive line was putrid. The quarterback play was horrible. The running game was non-existent. This running game, y'all, 32 total carries for South Carolina, 79 total rushing yards. Terrible. Absolutely awful. Nothing. They didn't generate any pressure, didn't record a single sack in the game, six quarterback hurries total. They didn't even generate a ton of turnovers. I think they got a couple interceptions, and I don't even know if they got any points off of those. Spencer Rattler ended the game with a 28.6 QBR. This team looked absolutely horrendous from top to bottom. And what I'll say about Georgia State is Georgia State has been known to give SEC teams fits for like the past three years. Um, So I don't know what it is about Georgia State or why they do this. Um... But one thing about the South Carolina team is I took zero positives from this game. Yeah, there, there was not a single positive. Like I mentioned, I know me, both me and you were high on South Carolina going into the year. Not necessarily high, but we saw them as a team that did have potential. Um, I, and I'm not – I need to take my hat off again. I'm not too confident in my pick of having them above Florida anymore. <laughs> I'm not very confident in, in that decision I had made a couple weeks back. Well, it's just, it's weird, man. I mean, obviously week one, like these teams, we're seeing such a small sample size. We don't really know what to compare it to because we haven't seen much ball. But you look at a team like South Carolina and what they were able to do against Georgia State, it just does not give you much hope. No, not not against SEC opponents. Definitely not. All right, well, let's kick it off uh, on, on a lighter note to round this list out. Let's go three teams that you were very, very impressed, or not, not impressed by, but three teams that you thought would produce at a solid level that did produce at a solid level. Um, I, I did not write any notes on any of these teams. I just have three teams written out. All right, well, let's, well let, let it rip. Who? Um, let, let's go from three to one. Um, ending on who we were most uh we we expected to see some good play out of that we got some good play out of okay i'll start at three uh tennessee uh tennessee obviously had a cupcake game um but tennessee's offense is still as high powered as ever and they showed that hendon hooker is an absolute dog and i i 
did not see them really have slip-ups like I did with a lot of the other SEC teams that we saw. So I have Tennessee at my three spot, and I am very excited to see what they can do for the rest of the year. All right, I like that. At my number three spot, this is where I actually had Texas A&M. Um, now, I put a little star next to Texas A&M on my list because Texas A&M teetered in between underwhelmed and kind of along with what I expected. And the reason I have the stars there is for, I guess, one reason, which is multiple reasons. This The team produced in areas I did not expect them to produce, and they lacked in areas that I did expect them to produce in. Um Number one, the offensive line for Texas A&M. This offensive line was a preseason top five offensive line in college football, and they looked terrible. The offensive line did not look good at all. Um, The receiving core, I was actually pretty impressed by. Uh, Now, I'm a guy that watched a lot of Texas A&M football for the past few years, uh, you know, my entire life, really. I mentioned it before on the podcast. I've got a lot of family, Texas A&M alum, Texas A&M fans. So I've kind of, this is a team I've had my eye on for years and I've kind of seen them play and seen the program change under Jimbo Fisher. Um, so a guy like Anaya Smith, um, Anaya Smith has been a guy that I've been impressed by for the past few years. Um, he's just a little bit more of a Swiss Army knife. He reminds me a lot of McCole Hardman from the UGA days. He's a kick returner. He's a guy that's probably going to get a look from NFL teams specifically for the ability to return kicks, return punts, and give you kind of that Isaiah McKenzie look on your offense like the Buffalo Bills had. Um, So I was impressed with Anaya Smith. Um, Honestly, I I was pretty impressed by Haynes King. Jake hit on it. The efficiency wasn't great. He had a couple interceptions. He kind of made his money off some busted coverages. But what I will say about Haynes King is this guy was the number five dual threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school. He was really recruited based on his athleticism. He impressed me in the pocket, yeah. um, which really surprised me. He looked better in the pocket than he did outside the pocket. It seemed like when he extended plays, he tended to make a little bit more mistakes and tended he had a tendency to – you know, reach a little bit. He tried to make the Patrick Mahomes cross-body throws and just, you know, obviously a guy who's making his, I want to say, third career start for Texas A&M. You're just not really there yet, buddy. But um, Haynes King, when he stood back in the pocket and was able to get some time and get the ball out, he was on time and it was accurate and he was very diligent about where he wanted to go with the ball. And that really impressed me. Um, So I'll say that. Uh, I was really, really underwhelmed by the running game. Now, Devon A. Chain, I love you. I think he's an amazing player. I do think he will end the season creeping up a lot of people's Heisman boards, and I think he's a guy that you'll see get some crazy, crazy juice as the season unfolds. Um, and I don't know anything about Sam Houston. I'm not going to sit here and act like I do, but I watched this game, and I was honestly pretty impressed by their defensive front. These guys got after the quarterback. They got they they stuffed holes. They stopped the running game just about as good as you could have asked. Um, so I don't want to say that this team is, uh, the reason for Texas A&M not being able to move the football on the ground, but it did seem like they had a little bit of an above average rushing defense from what I expected to see from this team. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. And then, um, probably the most valid reason I didn't have Texas A&M on my underwhelming list is because this was just such a weird game. I don't know if y'all watched this. There was like a three hour weather delay. This game kicked off at 12 and finished about the same time as the 3.30 Georgia game because of a crazy weather delay at halftime. So it's hard to judge. I mean, they end up, I think it was, what, what was the final score, Jake? 37-0, 31-0. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it now. Um, 
So it's just kind of a weird game, but honestly, I'm pretty impressed by what I saw from A&M in multiple aspects, but um, I, I would say that this is probably what I expected from them. Uh, I just got the production in ways that I didn't expect to see it. Yeah, I, I, I can agree with that. Uh, I, I do think, like I mentioned earlier, I do think that they cleaned things up as it got going, and they got more comfortable, which is something you expect week one, obviously. And Sam Houston did look physical, which is always nice when you're watching these lower-end teams come out and play SEC schools. Sometimes you see them fold over and just give up, and sometimes they come out and give you a tough game. And it just so happened that Sam Houston came out, and they 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 put it all on the field and tried to make a name for themselves. And, you know, they they, they did a pretty decent job. And, you know, I'm, I'm not overly disappointed with Texas and with, with my ranking. I just, you know, would like to see them be more consistent. And, you know, obviously the number six team in the country, I, I want to see it, you know, be a little bit better. But I, I, I think they'll get to that point at some point this year. It just takes comfort and, you know, reps to get there. All right, I'll go into my number two team since you kicked it off. This is where I had Tennessee. Um, so just to not hop on a 10-minute soapbox and reiterate the same things you did. I had them here for the same reasons you. Um, Hendon Hooker, absolute stud. Team looked good. They scored a lot of points. They actually played pretty good defense. I know they had a little bit of a cupcake matchup. But, you know, this is what I expected to see from Tennessee week one. I'm I'm very curious to see um, how how this – maintains for them moving forward as they get into some tougher opponents. I think you hit it right on the head, just like I said. So I'll, I'll, I'll drop into my two. Uh, my, my two is Alabama. Um, I, I feel like we're looking at teams that perform just how you expected, and Alabama is the poster child of that. I mean, they, they face a Utah State team who was not a bad football team last year, but obviously this level of competition is not something they're used to. And Alabama did with them just like you would expect. Alabama absolutely destroyed Utah State. Bryce Young was out there tossing the pigskin around the field. He was running the ball, which is something that we did not see from Bryce Young much last year. So I'm kind of curious to see if he transfers that over to like actual like SEC play in big time games. Because last year he was primarily a pocket quarterback, even though he has the athletic ability, obviously, to run the ball over the field. And he was doing it against Utah State, which was pretty interesting because I don't know if that's a game you want your star quarterback out there running around, but I mean, he did it and he showed he could do it. Alabama just dominated. They, I mean, they're, they're still good. Uh, obviously, I mean, Jermaine Burton, uh, RIP, you know, dogs fans. He's, he's going to have a lot less success there. Sorry. You had to leave our program just to get targets, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah. Sorry. You had to leave our program, to get targets and then go to Bama be number one, but he had a good game. He put together a pretty solid game. Obviously Cameron Latsu was out, which is, Pretty notable, but they don't need him against Utah State. He'll be back later this year and playing a big impact for that Alabama offense. All right. Well, um, I, I think I probably know where you're going. Who's your number one team? My number one team is the University of Georgia Bulldogs. Um, you, UGA. We, If you have listened to the episodes prior to this podcast, you have heard me and Kitty talk about how highly we think of this Georgia football team. Um, honestly, this is this is what we expect. Um, we had mentioned the whole offseason of having Stetson Bennett at quarterback. I, I'm not going to go into it too far because we legit did like a, a 40 minute breakdown on Georgia earlier. But this this is this is this Georgia football team. This is what we do. This is what the dogs do. And they came in and they showed out. And I'm not going to put it in uh, surprising because that's not a surprising thing for Georgia. We are national champions right now at this moment. Until the next one gets crowned, we are national champions. And after the next one gets crowned, we will still be national champions because we will win it. So Georgia did what they do, and they were the team that played how I expected them the most. 
Yeah, so my number one, I actually had UGA and Alabama right here. Um, Makes sense. That, that, it's the same same thing, right? Because we played yeah. we played the number 11 team in the country, but, you know, they both there went out shut out. Yeah, I mean, I expected both teams to dominate in pretty significant fashion, and they both did. So, um, you know, needless to say, Georgia and Alabama are clearly the number one and number two team in the country, regardless of who you have at one and who you have at two. So unless you're living under a rock, um, that's kind of how it is. That's how it's been for the past couple seasons, and uh, that's how it's going to be moving forward. I respect it a hundred percent. I I agree with it. I'm happy our list worked out to be uh, pretty similar, Kenny. Most of the time, me and Kenny get to spend Saturdays watching college football together, but it, it did not happen that way this weekend. And uh, I'm impressed that we we went pretty similar routes throughout the throughout the whole list making thing. That's right. That's right. Well, um, as we as this episode kind of comes to a close, I know there were a couple things we wanted to just touch on before we left uh, regarding uh, gambling, our bets, and where we kind of stand record-wise and production-wise last week. But before we get to that, Jake, I just wanted to get your opinions. If you're listening to the podcast live or watching us live on YouTube right now, um, it is Tuesday night at 10.20 p.m. Um, if you're listening Wednesday morning or later in the week, you'll probably have already seen that the AP Top 25 polls came out for week two. So I just wanted to kind of get your opinions. I personally, um, the top four here, I'll go ahead and kick us off. We got Bama at one, Georgia jumps Ohio State to two, Ohio State drops back to three, and we see Michigan jump Clemson and jump into the four spot. So you got Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, one, two, three, four. I personally think this is um, the absolutely – 100% 100% perfect top four in college football. Um, my biggest critique, if I could give a critique here, is based on what I saw in week one, I would have Georgia at number one. However, I am incredibly biased, and I love my dogs, but reigning national champs blow out number 11 ranked team in the country. Um, I believe that the number one spot is warranted there, but regardless um, of any order you put them in, number one, two, three, and four being Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. I think these are the top four teams in the country right now. No, I agree 100%. Uh, I was, I do want to mention Michigan was one of the standout teams for me this past weekend. I was somebody that was not as high on Michigan going into this year. I kind of felt like Ohio State was going to have the ability to run away with the Big Ten. And Ohio State somewhat disappointed me, and Michigan impressed me. So my opinions are changing as the season goes on. That is the beautiful thing about football. We honestly don't know until the season starts. So. Um, I, I'm really happy to see Michigan jump up there. Um, Clemson is not a good football team. Um, <laughs> I, I'll go ahead and say that right now. Clemson is not a good football team. They're still going to be ranked five, and I'm sure they probably won't drop too low for a couple weeks because until they until they play somebody real, and you know they might they might win a lot of S, a lot of ACC games, but I, I just don't see them being a uh, top five, even maybe a top ten team in the country. I mean, they're up there right now because how how highly rated they were to start and. I'm somebody that had put them in my college football playoff predictions. Um, after week one, I'm already I'm already regretting that. So, <laughs> um, looking a little bit farther down the list, uh, Notre Dame drops to eight. Uh, I know they're zero and one right now. Notre Dame impressed me. I, I will say that Notre Dame played better football. Excuse me than uh, I thought they were going to. Um, USC is a team that made a pretty big jump up to uh, the ten spot. They they jumped from I believe fourteen to ten or fifteen to ten. That was nice to see. USC had a pretty pretty dominant performance and Florida. The biggest jump on the list. Uh, Florida went from unranked to 12th. Uh, I feel like this is just a move made because you have to make it. 
Uh, obviously, it's it's pretty funny to see Utah at 13 and Florida at 12. I feel like they just moved Florida up there to put them in front of Utah because they beat Utah. Um, I'm not going to say that Florida doesn't deserve to be ranked. I, I did. Be, I, I honestly thought that they would land somewhere in the range that Tennessee did around 24, 23. But I mean, I, I guess it is week one. So, you know, the sample size is small. So I guess the aggressive moves are going to be made now. And as the season goes on, it will kind of fill out how, how you'd expect it to be. Yeah, and it kind of along the same lines that you just hit on, moving a little bit farther down the list. I think my biggest critique on this uh, new AP poll is Baylor. Um, Baylor at nine, I think, my, based on my own personal opinions from what I saw, um, I would probably have Baylor at five. Um, yeah. I would have – I would have – I would have it happen just like this. You see Clemson at five. I would have Clemson drop down. Um, I, you see Texas A&M at six. They were six in week one. They remain six here. I would probably, um, if I were to give any restructuring, I would have A&M stay at six. I would have seven, eight, and nine drop down a spot. I would have Clemson go to seven and Baylor go to five. I respect that. I respect that. Baylor's a good football team. They have a tough matchup coming up this coming up weekend against BYU as well. So I'm I'm happy to see that. If if they beat BYU pretty pretty significantly, I I expect them to make a, make a couple more moves up that up that AP poll. Yep, agreed, hundred percent. All right, well that rounds out AP poll talk and uh, college football talk as a whole. So Jake, um, I guess before we move on and close this thing out, let's talk about how we did gambling this past week. What'd you look like record wise and uh, money wise? Okay. So I went seven and eight this past week and I, I know I had a negative record, but I did make uh, a, a little bit over $5 betting Woo. my first weekend of college football. So we can just mention it was an absolute banger. Uh, I will say that Arkansas kind of saved me. Uh, I, this is actually a very funny thing I wanted to mention. I had the parlay of Arkansas minus six and a half and the over of 54 and Arkansas one by seven and the total points were 55. So a little bit of a sweat there, but, uh, you know, they they made me my money. And without that one, I would be down right now. So thank you, Arkansas, for doing what you do. So I actually, if oddly enough, finished uh, with the same percentage as you, I had a little bit more. Uh, games out there I was looking at, I finished off uh, at 12 and 13 um, total with a net money gain of, drum roll please, 73 cents. Let's go. Let's go. Week one college football wide. Hey, you can't go broke taking a profit, so I'll take my 73 cents and I will roll that into next week's bets. I was saved as well by one particular bet. For me, it was a rather profitable parlay. I had NC State money line, I had um, Maryland money line, and I had the under in the Rutgers game parlay that hit for me. Um, and that kind of saved me as far as my financial status goes in my betting account this week and to round me out at a net gain of 73 cents. Hey, if you make 73 cents a week, I'm just letting you know, if you make 73 cents a week, you're making like 36 extra dollars a year. So, I mean, you know, take I mean, it, take it as a positive, you know, long-term that's significant money right there. Yeah. 36 cent or $36 a year. Um, that'll put about a quarter of a tank in my truck. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> let's let's go let's go for a better week two. We can all hope for a better week two. I already have one little nice crispy bet in right now for for a little NFL action going on. Not we're 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 getting ready. We're excited. Uh, we're 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 about to start kicking off these bets. We're going to start making some significant money this year. Oh yeah, you can expect as uh, football develops and we see these teams play a little bit more for those numbers to rise a little bit. At least one can hope. So uh, we'll get some more seat time in and watch these teams play. Get a little bit more research done and move forward. But overall, not too upset with uh, what we saw week one from a betting perspective and. Um, Jake, I think that kind of sets us up for moving into the next episode. I believe are we going to be back tomorrow night? I believe we should, uh, bearing any you know significant problems that we run into in life. But uh, I, I think we should be expecting tomorrow night. All right. Well, I think you can expect tomorrow night. We'll get into a little bit more, uh, you know, projecting into week two college football. What we're looking like betting wise. Uh, look, taking a look at um, week two lines. We'll also get in a little bit of NFL talk. Um, NFL season kicks off Thursday night this week. We get some Bills Rams action. The Super Bowl champs fair uh, going up against the Super Bowl favorites this year. So I know everyone's going to be tuning into that, watching that game. I'm super pumped about it. So uh, we'll get in, talk a little bit of NFL action, talk a little bit of Week 2 action, and probably, hopefully, talk about a uh, evened-up NL East race. Hell yeah. I, let, you know what? Let's, let's, just, let's just get ready for it. We've got a, got a good night of sleep, good day of work. Tomorrow we're, we're going to hop back in this thing tomorrow. It's going to be a beautiful day. All right. All right. Well. Um, oh, yeah, talk about, yeah. The, talk about the NL East thing real quick. Uh, Matt Olson did just hit a three-run bomb on Oakland. So I, I did, I did want to throw that in. It's 6-1 no. right now. Revenge game for Matt Olson. Uh, it feels good uh, to to have him on our team, man. Yeah, absolutely amazing. All right, y'all. Well, I think that just about does it for episode twelve uh, for the podcast. We appreciate y'all for listening, man. Uh, we enjoy every time we get to strap on the mic and hop in here and talk ball with y'all boys and girls watching. Um, like we say every episode, check us out on all the socials. We're on Twitter. We're on TikTok. Um, catch us on YouTube. You can watch us. You know, check out some graphics. Check out our faces. See our reaction to the information we get to talk up here. Um, and if you're listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcast, be sure to drop us a review. Leave us a like. Uh, interact with us. Um, we're really trying to ramp up the content on Twitter. Get some stuff out there. So if y'all would check us out at Peach State Pod on Twitter. Give us a follow in there and kind of drop us uh, with, with your college football takes. What you think about the dogs? What you think about the Braves? what you think about uh, the NFL season as we get underway. And uh, we're looking forward to keeping this thing rolling. We'll be back tomorrow night with some more football and a little bit of more baseball talk for y'all boys. And um, we're excited to be here. Hell yeah, Kenny. I, I, think, I think that was a perfect outro right there. And uh, again, thank y'all so much. And uh, I, th- I, think that, I think that's it for us. All right. All right. Well, thank y'all as always for listening. We can't thank you enough. And uh, we'll catch you on the next one. See y'all.